didn't have my mic turned on. So, Josh, when you're listening to this, um, I started out sermon talking about a camera and how you have to use it right. If you put the lens on backwards, you're not going to see anything through it. All right. Now, we're in Philemon. Now, Philemon's written to a gentleman by the name of, well, Philemon. Round, most people are going to tell you, 80, 60 to 62. Generally believed to be Paul's first stint in prison in Rome. When we look at the book of Colossians, you can see that the slave at issue in Philemon, remember what I told you about the camera and how you have to have the lens right, or you won't see anything. We're going to be talking about slavery, and that's going to be important. But the slave, Onesimus, is also mentioned in the book of Colossians, so most it's generally believed they're probably written about the same time. And as well, most scholars tend to believe that Philemon was involved in some way with the church at Colossae, which Colossians was written to. So, a bit of, you know, the who was where and what was going on at the time. But the big thing that's going, the big piece of background you need to know about is slavery in the Roman Empire and how that was different from chattel slavery in the United States. We need to keep in mind Philemon is a letter to Philemon talking about Philemon's culture and the practices that Philemon would have known. If you take the assumptions and the lore that you have about slavery here in 21st century America and try to read those back on Philemon, it's not going to work very well. Again, it's putting the lens on your camera backwards and expecting that to work. You have to look at Roman slavery the way Roman slavery worked. So how was that exactly? <sighs> Now, slavery was everywhere in ancient societies. Rome wasn't special for having that, and the ancient Old Testament Jews had this as well. That's, you know, that's why you have regulations about it in the Old Testament. In the Roman Empire, it's generally estimated about 20% of the population were slaves. So, again, a lot of them there. And just as a little bit of bonus history, you'll hear sometimes people say that the reason the Roman Empire declined was that they relied too much on slaves and so free labor and there's no reason to invent labor-saving devices when you don't have to pay your slaves. Who knows? Free rabbit trail for the day there. Now, slaves could become slaves by being captured in war, being sentenced to it as punishment for a crime, or by simply having been born to a slave mother very big difference between Roman and American slavery. In Rome, ethnicity was not particularly relevant to whether you were a slave. Most, and I emphasize most slaves were from the eastern part of the empire. That's likely just due more to the amount of wars that were being fought there. And prisoners of war would frequently become slaves, so you know it makes sense you'd have more slaves from there. And another big difference between Roman slavery and what we expect when we think of slave in America is that slaves could be found doing nearly every kind of job. Emperors had slaves teaching their children. The government used slaves for its administrative work, 
to the point that most of the duties we associate with civil service were carried out by slaves, and you have a lot of slaves working as skilled craftsmen and other, you know, jobs that you would expect to be done by a middle-class laborer. A lot of them were just slaves. Um, slaves were used in responsible positions because a lot of free men would just hire themselves out somewhere else and weren't interested in being accountable to someone else. And they were used to obeying orders because they had to be. Now, that's not to say that slaves in Rome were well treated. That was not a guarantee at all. There were more than a few slave jobs in Rome that were very much worse than being a slave on an American plantation in the 1850s. Slaves working mines were expected to die in short order, and female slaves were very often subject to sexual abuse. One other downside of being a slave is, well, they're slaves. They don't have legal rights. Aristotle said that the slave is a living tool, and the tool a lifeless slave. You're not really seen as a person, you're a slave in ancient Rome. Well, treatment of a slave would only happen because of practical considerations. You know, maybe you don't want to be extra, extra brutal to the guy who's, you know, running the books for your business if you have a slave doing that. Or just because the owner was a relatively nice person. Something very important when reading the book of Philemon is runaway were very commonly executed. It wasn't guaranteed the owner could choose to just keep the slave and the slave was out of it, but you would execute the slaves if apparently they ran away. One slight right spot for a Roman slave was usually, if you were reasonably well behaved, you could actually save up money and buy your own freedom. It was a little bit more complicated than just that, but you could become free. You would still owe your former owner some work as well as reverence and gratitude. And if you know how patron-client relationships worked in Rome, then the slave would be a client to the master. Just a very brief introduction to Roman slavery. The big takeaway from this is we need to get plantations and cotton out of our heads when we're reading the book of Philemon because that's not how it worked. So, Philemon. and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. A lot of times we tend to speed read through the greetings in this kind of letter, but Paul isn't just whispering sweet nothings in Philemon's ear. This stuff is going to matter. 
pay attention to the emotional terms Paul is using here. Prisoner of Christ Jesus. Timothy, our brother, dear friend, fellow worker, our sister, our fellow soldier, God, our Father, your love, your friendship. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. These matter. Paul's about to ask for something that is completely insane in Roman society. A bit more on that in a moment. But tell us a bit about Philemon himself as well. He worked in ministry, hosted a church in his home, and it's not a small thing to have the Apostle Paul say, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I said Paul's about to get to an insane request, so let us get to that as well. Philemon 8 through 16, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Quick side note, Onesimus means useful. It was a very common name for slaves. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. You can see a little bit of a play on words. Onesimus was not really Onesimus to you, but now he is Onesimus. Remember, the name means useful. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So remember what we just uh, learned about slaves. It's standard practice to have a runaway slave put to death. Onesimus is a slave, a runaway slave. This is Roman society. Again, slaves aren't people in Roman society. And so for them, it wouldn't be much different than having a cow that's always getting out made into hamburger. As horrifying as that sounds, we are looking at it from the perspective of 2,000 years of Christian influence on our culture and the cultures we came out of. You don't get that without a lot of time for Christianity to soak in, so you have to start somewhere. This is where we're starting. Let's get back to Philemon. The emotional terms are back. I'm not aware of anywhere else in Scripture where Paul calls himself an old man. Um, Josh, you can correct me on that um, if you think of anything when you listen to this later. Paul's going to bring his authority in by referencing it, only to say he isn't asserting it. One of my commentaries says about verse 9, which is, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, after he mentions I'm kind of an apostle, but I'm asking out of love. I could remind you of this authority I have, but I won't, and so you could pretend you could remind someone while pretending not to do so. Very important when you need to exercise diplomacy. Another thing in verse 10, 
Paul is only known to have called three people his son by name, Timothy, Titus, and here Onesimus. And this isn't, this matters too. If someone is Paul's son and Paul is important in the faith, how can you hold his son as a slave? We talked about verse 11 a little bit. Formerly he was useless, now he is useful. Which is just, you know, I think it's a neat little play on words when Onesimus' name means useful. Verse 12, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. Again, Paul is one of the foremost teachers in the church. It's very hard to get a letter from Paul with your runaway slave saying, please spare him, he's my very heart, and not do that. And in verses 13 through 14, Paul isn't ever known to complain about his imprisonment, but he's not going to object to using it to his advantage. Remember, old man and a prisoner of Christ. Remember my chains. Now, another thing here. I would have liked to keep him so he could take your place in helping me. If Philemon's maybe feeling a little guilty that he can't help Paul, this is going to punch that really hard. And something, of, again, of note here, slaves would sometimes be free to become slaves of a temple to serve that temple god. One of the books I was reading and preparing for this suggests Paul might be appealing for Philemon to free Onesimus to the service of God in that same kind of way. And again, the insanity of this request. You don't intervene on behalf of a slave like this. It just was not something you would do. Then, next couple verses, Paul's going to keep building his appeal up. Not only is Onesimus my son, my heart, and by the way, I'm in prison. If you want to help me, here's a great way to do it. But this thing is now your dear brother. Not just a brother, a dear brother. Oh, how can you enslave your brother? And Paul will also refer to Onesimus in Colossians 4, verse 9, as, again, a dear brother. So up to this point, we've seen Paul gradually building up all of the reasons behind his appeal, but what is he actually wanting from Philemon? So Philemon, verses 17 through 25. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, the actual request, we finally see what it is. Welcome him like you're welcoming me, that is Paul. Now, verse 17, if you consider me a partner, Paul has mentioned this before in the same letter. Verse 6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding. And then in verse 1, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, which isn't the same word, but you get the same sense out of it. And so Philemon now has even less room to reject Paul's appeal. Well, Philemon, I've already called you my partner twice. Do you consider me a partner? Interestingly, Paul doesn't ever directly criticize Philemon. In verse 18, he's actually offering compensation for anything that Onesimus, the runaway slave, might have done. It's very possible when he ran away, he took something with him. At minimum, slaves were expensive, and in themselves, the loss of one would be a pretty significant uh, financial blow. Now, Paul's also bringing out, he's writing this in his own hand. In Paul's longer letters, he usually uses a scribe to write it down for him, since he didn't have typewriters, and a specialist could do a better job of that than a theologian. Another thing with writing it himself, this places Paul under a legal obligation to carry out his word. So he can't say, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't really mean that. I'm not, I don't have the money to pay for whatever Onesimus did. Paul's obligating himself here. But Paul's also going to bring up something else. Philemon owes Paul his very self. Which one of these is a greater debt? In verse 20, you're going to see another one of those things where Paul's going to refer to something he already mentioned. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. If we go back to verse 7, you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. You, know, you will, you've given this refreshment to everyone else. Will you not also give it to me? And confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. I think Paul has good reason to be confident of Philemon's obedience after having written this. I know it would be very hard for any Christian to look at this address to them and say, yeah, I don't think I'll do that. And... In any case, Paul's going to stop by and see what's going on later on. And so, you know, this is interesting and all, but what do we do with it? I'm going to note here Philemon's making an incredible demand of the recipient. This is going against everything that Roman culture would have said to do. It will, even if you don't kill the slave, you know, you. You take the whip to him so he knows not to do that again. 
But here Paul is saying, no, uh, welcome him like you would welcome me. But this isn't a request that Paul's making of Philemon. This is a demand. And he's demanding Philemon live out his faith in a way that makes no sense to the culture. This still applies. Now, when I was talking with John Mulholland about this book on Wednesday in this sermon, one of the things he said was, Paul gives Philemon no wiggle room at all here. And I don't think Paul meant to leave us any wiggle room either. We don't have slaves today. But what we do have are expectations in our culture that we treat people in a certain way, or we look at them in a certain way. If you're a Republican, the culture of that political party is going to tell you certain things about left-leaning people. If you're a Democrat, you're going to hear the same kind of thing going the other way about Republicans. Our culture finds it very profitable to tell you that those who disagree with you are bad people or less than people. Just like Roman culture told its people that slaves weren't human. And this is something that we are not immune to in the church. I assume, we assume, that our ideas are so self-evidently true that anyone who disagrees with us must be too stupid to be human. to other Romans, but I wonder, do we do so well with the Onesimuses that we have today? So the first thing I want you all to really take away from this is when the culture tells you to hate people, when it tells you someone is less than human or less than you, that they don't deserve to be looked at to be given sympathy, remember Onesimus, who isn't even a human at all. Legally speaking, he's not a person in the Roman Empire. In God's kingdom, he's a brother to Philemon, the aristocrat, and Paul, the apostle in God's kingdom. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, that's Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Now, all of these things that Paul lists in this Galatians passage are things that people would use as value judgments to carve themselves up into their little camps and cliques and tribes. Jews held themselves above Gentiles, and Gentiles would also do the same thing back at the Jews. And we've already talked about the status of slaves. Men were... Men had a major power advantage over women in Roman society, to put it very diplomatically. But in God's kingdom, all are on the same level. We are all part of the same family, and which sibling can say, 
Well, I am more a part of the family than you. Second big thing here is forgiveness. It's expected if a runaway slave wasn't executed, there would be at minimum a very harsh punishment. But Paul tells Philemon to treat his runaway slave like he would Paul himself. So how do we receive the lesser than and the despised today? The people we're angry at. The people the culture tells us do bad things to that person because they deserve it. Do we forgive the people who have flouted our culture? Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Peter came to Jesus and said, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Quick note, seven times would be a lot in Jewish culture at the time. I think it would be what the rabbis would have told you at the time is two, maybe three times. So Peter's thinking he's being generous here. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, that's a lot of gold, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. They'd be sold into slavery. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which isn't a trivial amount. It's you know, probably about a used car's worth of money today. But a hundred bags of gold would be billions of dollars today, very likely. So he finds a servant who owes him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus finishes with saying, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Not bringing that up to beat anyone over the head with it, but forgiveness is an essential part of Christian faith. And it's serious. The passage there again is Matthew 18, 21 through 35. So how are you doing on forgiveness? How am I doing? How are we doing? Because it's just as necessary for us as it was for Peter in the Matthew passage, or for Philemon and his slave. And in general, we're called to live in a way that seems insane to the culture around us. 
why would you forgive your runaway slave? And then you're going to think of that slave as a brother? Insanity. Well, speaking of insanity, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 27. That is 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 27. not supposed to happen. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. so that no one may boast before him. So if what Paul calls Philemon to do seems insane, if what we get out of this today seems insane or difficult, that's because it is. That's because when you look at this thing like the world, well, yes, you'd have to be out of your mind to follow it. It's foolishness, except the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And I would say, Paul doesn't say this explicitly, but I would bet that the insanity of God is saner than human sanity. God's kingdom does not work like the world's system. Where Rome would say, punish your runaway slave, put him to death. God's kingdom says, that runaway slave is your brother in Christ. Welcome him. And again, where Rome says, punish the slave, God's kingdom says, forgive him. And where the Roman system would say, Doing all of that is foolishness. You're out of your mind. God's kingdom says it is foolishness. But God's foolishness is wiser than your wisdom. Maybe we should all seek to indulge ourselves in a bit of God's foolishness. God, we uh, just want to thank you for the forgiveness that you give us, for the foolishness to the world of your plan for forgiveness. May we all live our lives for your glory in service to your kingdom. And may we remember 
the Onesimus among us. In Jesus' name, amen.